Hi, this is Mark, lead pastor of Lux Digital Church. I want to thank you for joining us today and also invite you to join with us live at twitch.tv slash Church every Wednesday night at 8.30 p.m. EST. Thank you for joining us and please enjoy this message. Hey, everybody. I am Andy. I am Chino Mage uh, in Discord and all of those things. We're so honored that you all are here with us that you decided to spend really just a small portion of your week either live right now or on demand i mean you could be doing so many things with your time and we want to make this worth it for you we also want you to come join our family in discord we talked about it a little bit ago right at the beginning of this service uh, and if you're catching us on vod we would love for you to be part of that family it's the christmas season and a lot of us can feel a bit disconnected because of gifts and family and stress and all of those things. I love the fact that you call me the Wizard of the South, Beggy Man. Thank you, Jen, for all that as well. Uh, hello, everybody. If you are not a Discord fan, I completely understand that as well. I'm actually part of my role here at Lux is to figure out ways to get some of our on-demand family, which is there and alive and growing, and we hear from you try to get ways to get you plugged in and kind of grouped up together in other places. And I'm looking at things like Mastodon and Hive Social and even Mighty Networks. And there's going to be more on that in the new year. But you can either let me know in the chat or the comments right now. If you use some of those things, I, I would love to have a conversation with you. That's just a small aside. We're looking forward to 2023. All right, let's shove all that to the side. We are here tonight to look at two separate things and we're going to make a weird connection. We're going to look at board games and we're going to look at the Bible. It works, trust me. And tonight actually we're going to we're going to take a look at a man in the Bible who actually literally tried to kill Christmas, which is totally awesome. So, uh before we get to kind of all of these things, uh I have a kind of a huge confession, and this is going to go contrary to everything that we're doing in this series. I'm actually not really that big of a board game guy. I don't have that super huge collection that Pastor Mark does or like some of you do. I've been a fan of some of the older school games. I'm thinking like Hero Quest and Stratego and, you know, Battlemasters and even Axis and Allies. I know that's like a 12, uh, a 12 day board game. Uh, actually, in the chat, before we go any further, I I would love to know, so we're kind of on the same page, what's your favorite method of game? Do you do you like board games? Do you like video games? Do you like trading card games? Like, what are you, what are you into? When it comes to gaming, I'm a video game guy through and through, um, but I like tabletop RPGs, D&D, uh, &D, Blades in the Dark, those type of things. And honestly, this is a weird confession, but I am a... I'm I'm a card game guy. Um, I like magic, obviously old school. I, I haven't played in a long time, but I also like kind of some of the general card games. I'm like Phase Ten and Cribbage and Exploding Kittens and you know Boss Monster and Munchkin and those type of things. That's kind of where I live is in the sort of RPG nerd thing and then kind of the general card games. Uh, I'm gonna get to some of y'all's responses in just a second. There was this one board game however, that I used to play uh, when I was doing a kind of a college ministry down south of here in a place called St. Petersburg, uh, not Russia, St. Petersburg, Florida. And we were running a college ministry and we played this game called Terraforming Mars. Now, if you know anything about me or if you ever, you've ever watched me stream games, chances are you've seen me stream stuff on Twitch that are strategy games. Uh, that's kind of where I live. 
the I'm a huge like Crusader Kings guy. Um, I like Civilization and, you know, Football Manager and Stellaris, you know, all of those kind of Paradox 4X Civilization type games. They're they're really they're my jam. I, I, I get into the macro levels of like controlling empires and cities. And then I love like paring down into the micro levels of, you know, designing armies and running battles and things like that. That's the stuff that I really, really do. We got to do a super fight night. I would be down for a super fight night as well. Uh, Terraforming Mars is kind of a combination of board game and strategy kind of computer game. It's, it's a board game about colonizing the planet Mars. So the, the big 30,000 foot overview is you get to play as this corporation that's like trying to complete projects to raise the temperature and the oxygen levels and the water coverage of Mars so that you can make the planet livable. It's kind of dystopian in a weird way. Everybody's escaping Earth kind of Wally style and they're all going to go live in Mars. There's ways to work together with other people and to ally with each other. But you're also trying to like subvert and control it's this really sort of unique game that mixes like power and greed and control and friend friendship and just weird sort of like i don't know you're, you're trying to advance your research and do all of these things and grab milestones and you're trying to plant trees and grass and like pipe water to things and finish projects that will ultimately make mars a place to live this is the thing that i love and in this college ministry we would spend three and four and five hours we'd go to mellow mushroom and we knew a guy who uh, who owned mellow mushroom it's a which a mellow mushroom if you don't know what that is it's kind of this like bohemian pizza place and we'd set up in the back room and there'd be like eight or nine of us and we'd all be kind of playing on teams and taking turns and playing a couple couple we don't we'd have boards set up playing terraforming mars it was awesome there's a lot of ways to use power dynamics and some weird trades to really get what you want out of it we'd trade board games and or uh, breadsticks and pizza and all sorts of stuff there's there's not really any killing or murder or anything like that this is a game that's all about control it's all about winning because of your own wits your own power and your own control and if you are interested in this game by the way we know you can hit exclamation point ticket in the chat to enter the drawing because we are giving one away because we are awesome here at luck so exclamation point chat uh zeph i do like pharaoh as well absolutely um so yes board games awesome right terraforming mars great let's play this game it's going to be awesome but what does that have to do with christmas especially when our key statement for this entire series is Jesus is the only place our hope belongs. Kind of seems like a car, kind of like car crash, right? Tonight, I kind of alluded to this before, but I actually want to talk about a man that wanted to control Christmas. He literally tried to kill it. He tried to control a narrative and control by power. He put his hope of the future into these things, and it and it kind of ultimately led to some pretty bad things happening. And it's not Grinch, and it's not Ebenezer Scrooge, and it's not any of those Hallmark Christmas movies you hear. This is a man named Herod, King Herod, Herod the Great. If you know anything about the Bible, you know there's a lot of Herods. That this name Herod keeps showing up in the New Testament. There's actually four of them, if you if you count them linearly. Three, but there was kind of an offset one. But the Herod we're going to talk about tonight is the OG, the big daddy Herod, the the original one in the entire narrative. And this dude is 
crazy. He's he's not one of the guys that you find in the traditional nativity scene, you know, with the angels and the shepherds and the baby and the star and all that stuff. He's never in that. Herod is talked about in Matthew chapter 2, which is the first book of the New Testament and really the second chapter of the New Testament. But before we get to that, we we kind of need to set some context for the story. So, Herod, uh, if you go about 40 years before the birth of Jesus, there's this guy, Herod the Great, and he's about 25 years old. Now, Herod is Roman. He's not Jewish, which plays into this whole story pretty prominently. And he he's the son of some really big Roman politicians. And he kind of gets deported to, well, exported to this region that ancient Rome had conquered in the Galilee area, where we know that Jerusalem is. And after they moved there, his dad had a good relationship with Julius Caesar, who we know as the leader of Rome. And because of all of these relationships and kind of backdoor dealings and handshake things, he becomes the leader of Galilee, the governor of Galilee. And that's the region, again, where Jerusalem and Bethlehem is. Now, immediately after this, so Herod, 25 years old, gets named to be governor, and he immediately starts to control the situation immediately starts to try to take advantage of his newfound power. He he goes and captures a bandit leader. This guy's name is Ezekiel, and he has him executed. Just boom, killed right there. And then right after that, he marries into this leading Jewish family. They're called the Hasmoneans. And the Roman Senate at that point names him the King of the Jews. And you'll hear that a little bit later as well. Now, actual Jewish people hate this. Again, because he's Roman, and he's not Jewish. Herod is this like clever and cruel leader as well. Herod is that prototypical sort of guy you find in the movies, right? He, he murders anyone that gets in the way, and he trusts that the Roman government and their authority and their armies have his back. And over the years, he kills his brother-in-law, kills his mother-in-law, kills his own sons, and then eventually kills his wife, which actually drives him literally insane in a weird twist of fate. She thought or he thought she was threatening his power and his control because her of her family origin and some, you know, some stuff there with the Jewish people trying to rise up and he kills her, but he never really gets over her and it starts to drive him insane. So this is kind of a, kind of a base coding to see all of this stuff happening. Now, if you fast forward about 40 years, we'll see Herod. And he's about 65 years old, which is pretty old for the time. And Herod is slowly dying. I mean, he's, he's again, insane, but he's slowly dying. There's this uh, ancient historian. His name is Josephus. And Josephus wrote in all of these histories that Herod has convulsions. He's got bad breath. He's got skin covered by sores and this mind that just can't grab hold of things. He's, he's going insane. But he's still the governor. He's still the king of the Jews. He's still in control. And then we start to open up the book of Matthew a little bit, and we see this in Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. We see that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who was born the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, this is going to sound familiar if you were with us last week. Uh, he was... 
we or Pastor Mark kind of talked about this, the wise men, the magi arriving from the east after a perilous journey in hopes of finding out about the star. They're looking for a king. There's money. There's wealth. They trusted in the money. They trusted in the wealth. Don't trust in your money. Don't trust in your wealth. Trust in Jesus. That was last week. Go catch up uh, either at our website or on our YouTube channel or via VOD. Now, we want to focus, kind of turn our attention to Herod, however. For Herod in this scene right now, this is unfathomable. Why would people be looking for another king when he is already the king? Not this baby. How could a baby be a king? Fast forward another verse into Matthew chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, where we read, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Now, there's that word there, disturbed. Herod is disturbed. He's insane, but his soul is kind of disturbed. He has no control over this situation. He's killed everyone that has threatened him before. But now he's going to have to kill again, apparently. And now he's going to have to kill a baby, which is really sort of awkward and bad. Herod is not Jewish, again, but he knows that the Jewish people have been looking for a Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one, the the, the one who was going to uh, deliver them, the, the one that God was going to send to save them. He had read prophecies. He knew this was a big part of Jerusalem. This was kind of the pinnacle of what was supposed to happen in the Jewish faith. And so he calls together the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he has kind of this powwow session with them. And he asks, okay, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? And the chief priests and the teachers of the Jewish law tell Herod that the Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem, according to all the prophecies and all the prophets. Herod, sitting back, starts to see his control slip away. And he hatches this plan, right? He starts to scheme a little bit. So this plan is, looks a little weird, but he's going to have the wise men who came. They're going to do some advanced scouting for him. He's going to send them to find out where this baby king is under the guise that Herod wants to worship this kid. So he's just kind of being altruistic. Oh, I would love to know where that kid is so I can go bow down to him. Now, obviously, it doesn't take a, a, a rocket scientist to see that, that Herod is lying here. We can all see through it. He wants to kill the baby. And if you've read any Bible or you know anything about the rest of the Christmas story, you, you kind of know what happens from here. The wise men go, they find Mary and Joseph and the baby in a manger in Bethlehem. They give them gifts and they bow down before this baby, right? And then instead of actually going back to Herod to report what they found, God warms, warns the magi and the wise men in a dream to go home, back to the east, but to take a different route. God also, at the same time, warns Joseph to take his family, including Jesus and Mary, to Egypt, because there's a lot of stuff that's going to be happening behind the scenes here very shortly. So Joseph gets up, takes Mary and, and uh, Jesus to Egypt for a little bit. Focus back on Herod for just a second. He's old. He's dying. He's now tricked by the wise men, and he knows it. He's jealous. He's a murderer. And he trusts only in his own power and nothing else. And now he's still got to work out how to find this baby and how to kill it. And then we read this awful scene in Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, 
he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Herod orders that all boys two years and under in the area be killed. If he can't find one, if he can't find one king, he'll kill them all. It's actually in kind of lore and kind of ancient studies. This is called the slaughter of the innocents. I mean, imagine, put yourself in the, those shoes right now. Put yourself in Bethlehem right now. You've got soldiers running around taking babies out of their mother's arms. The screams and the cries that would have been happening that night. Their children are now gone forever. It's terrible. But again, shift your focus back to Herod. He now thinks he's won. He has put his trust and his hope into his own control of the situation. Herod literally tried to kill Christmas. He tried to control the situation. And we know the story. He doesn't win because God, not Herod, was ultimately in control of the situation. We see that with God sending the Magi back east through a different route. And we see that with Joseph and Mary and Jesus being sent away to Egypt. God was ultimately in control of the situation. And we see a couple of short verses later, Herod dies. Joseph and Mary return into the country and life is restored except for those mothers who lost their babies. Now, I don't tell this story because it seems like some weird horror movie or some heavy metal song. That's that's not why we're talking about this tonight. We don't we don't want to sit in the slaughter of the innocents. It's it's awful. I actually I, I want to use this as sort of a compare and contrast. Hopefully none of us is going to go around trying to kill baby Jesus and none of us is actually going to go to try to con control a kingdom or a country or, you know, take over some part of land like Herod. But we all have just a little bit of Herod in us, whether we want to admit it or not. We all want control, right? We all want power. We all crave our own way. We're all selfish to a certain degree. It's our sin nature. We're born into sin and we are naturally inclined to try to make little kingdoms around us that we control. I do this all the time. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a little bit OCD. Um, my wife calls it CDO, which is OCD in alphabetical order. I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a lot bit OCD. Everything in my life has a place. Everything uh, belongs in an area. I, I like to research and I like to move things around until I know where they are. Um, actually, this is this is a super dirty confession, uh, but I mean, we're on Twitch and I'm with you guys, so don't belittle me here. But growing up, my parents knew about sort of my OCD tendencies at a very young age that I was organized and particular. And I have a, so I'm the oldest of three. Uh, I have a younger brother who's about three years younger than me. And I have a younger sister who's about five years younger than me. And they knew that growing up, I was going to have some issues possibly with 
some things, especially a brother and a sister coming in to my life. And so my parents, especially my mother, who was brilliant, gave me a closet. Just to, they said, hey, Andy, this is your closet. And it was right in the living room near our basement. This closet was my own. And I could do whatever I wanted with this closet. I could put my games and my own toys and my papers and my books and my bags and my Legos and my G.I. Joes and, you know, my Nintendo. My, my, I had my power glove in there. Everything. When my brother was born and I was no longer that only child, she, my mom, let me run to this place to Rogue Ronin. God is king. Absolutely. Amen. Welcome to, uh, welcome to Lux. Thank you for the follow as well. Whenever I would kind of feel stressed about my brother being born, whenever I would feel stressed about school, whenever I would realize that things weren't going right, I would run to this closet, usually about every three or four months. I'd pull everything off the shelves and then I'd put them back in different and unique ways. And I'd repeat that process over and over. It was a fun thing, but it was also kind of this comforting thing because this closet, this thing I had in front of me, this box, this square sort of how or a couple of feet of life, I could exert power and control over. Lately, um, and my wife is online right now, but um, she's been going through some fairly major health issues. Our life, her life in particular, has been very painful lately. Um, and there's some major stuff there. And then there's some major stuff happening at the church I work for full time. And then there's kind of a bunch of little things that are just piling up on top of these big things. And none of these things I have any control over. And it drives me nuts. It drives me absolutely insane. And I could tell that the closet portion of my life, the organizing portion of my life was trying to come out. And I could tell that stuff was really starting to get to me. I reverted to that child me. It was about a month ago. I, I reorganized this entire desk that I'm preaching from right now. I reorganized this entire room and I moved the desk into one corner and I told myself it was going to work better here with the lights here and here and I got the fan there and I've got all my monitors here and I've got everything now has a place. And I, I, I was busying myself with things that I could control because everything else seemed out of control. I was trusting in myself and the things that I was doing to make everything all right. Why? Why would I do these things? Why was I trusting in my own control? Why was I trusting that reorganizing a closet was going to make things better? Why am I trusting in the fact that moving a desk around and making sure my hats are here now is going to make things better? I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And yet I found myself trusting in my own hands and my own power. Are you there right now? Are you trusting in your own hands and your own power? I look at the world around us right now, right? I look around and I see the absolute wreckage that is social media. And I see a bunch of hurting people hoping that the government is going to bail them out of their bad situations or hoping that their HOAs are going to save their living conditions or trusting that a better diet or a better job or a better car or a better house or something else that they can control will make their lives feel more fulfilled. I look at a world that has stopped hoping in Jesus. And I look at this world that is instead hoping in its own power 
in the control of authorities and rulers and people above them in the food chain. I see a world that is hurt and does not know what to do. But fortunately, church, we have the answer. And it's the most Sunday school, easy, re easily repeated answer out there, but it's true. We have Jesus. We have a God that is in control of everything. And God has given us this thing called faith. Faith is this gift from God. Believe it or not, he, he gave it to us as a gift. God put something inside of us that wants to believe and wants to trust and wants to hope in something. Most of the time we put that belief and trust and hope into the wrong things, like our own control of situations. It's the reason people argue about politics and sports and video games and literally everything else so much because we believe that the things we control and the things we have right in front of us, the things we can wrap our hands around are the things that are going to save us. We put our faith into something that we want to control or something that we believe will have the power to save us. And then when things go poorly, we look for something else to control or something else to keep us safe. We get scared when people start to get sick and we start to lose money and we start to hear about wars and shootings and earthquakes. We run and we hide because we can't control those things. We put our hope in power that does not come from God. And yet we, especially during this Christmas time, we have this King, this Messiah, this promised one, the one Herod tried to kill. The one that we know is Jesus, the one who the Apostle Paul says in this amazing phrase from Romans chapter 8, verse 28. He says, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. All things work together for the good of those who love God. Listen, control in your life is an illusion, okay? Power in your life is fake. You can't control anything. It's dangerous business walking out your front door, right? Thanks, Frodo. All it takes is, is one authority figure to ruin your sense of freedom or one car crash to change everything. But God promises that everything will work out for good if we choose to love him, if we make the decision to love him, if we make the decision to follow him, if we choose to know Jesus. Now, things working out for good doesn't always mean that we're going to know exactly how they work out or, or work out exactly like we want them to work out or, or even that they're going to happen immediately, which is also part of faith. And we can talk about that on another time. But if this is you tonight, right now, if you have put your hope and your faith into your own control, if you are saying, I've got this, if you're trying to manage your life without any help, if you're using your own power and your own motives and thinking that that's the best way forward, if you're trying to control the situations around you constantly, then I am telling you right now, it's not. This is not the best way to live. There's only one way to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are safe and that things are in control around you. And that's to give up control, to let your hands off of it, and to put it in the hands of God.
who loves you, who cares deeply for you, who will literally move heaven and earth to rescue you, who will not only live for you, but will die for you. Later on in the Gospels, especially in the book of Matthew, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, why are you, why are you worried? Why are you trying to control this? If God has been feeding the ravens, if he has been feeding birds, aren't you much or worth much more than a bird? And if he has been clothing the lilies of the field and making grass grow and making nature beautiful, aren't you much more valuable than the lilies of the field? That is the God that loves you and cares deeply for you. And if you have never made the decision to say yes to placing your life under the control and power of Jesus Christ, tonight, right now, is the night. Tonight is the night that you can turn your face towards God and say, listen, I know, I know you are out of my reach. You are out of my control. You are God. You are king. You are over all of these things. But I want to trust you with even just a little bit of my life. Tonight is your night. And, and I want to pray a prayer with all of our church tonight. I want everybody to pray this with me. This prayer is, is nothing magical and it's, it's just kind of simply talking to God. That's all prayer is really. And, and through this, we all want to relinquish a bit of our control and allow the Holy Spirit's control to empower us. And I would love you to pray this with me. You can do it out loud. You can do it in your heart. I, I don't really care. But let's pray. Dear God, I know that I have been living under my own control. I know that I have been living in my own power. And I know that I have been running afoul of my own sins, God. But you are holy. You are perfect. You, God, love me. And through the example that Jesus has shown us, through the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, God, I, I take my hands off of that steering wheel just a little bit. And I ask for you to forgive me tonight of all of the things I have ever done, of all of the things that I'm probably going to do, and all of the things that I can never see. God, I ask you to forgive me of those. Right now, God, I turn my entire life towards you, and I give you control. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for loving me when I have been unlovable. Thank you for shaping me when I have been unshapeable. Thank you for comforting me when I have been an uncomfortable mess. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I pray that type of prayer a lot. And I want to really gather with those that are praying something like this for the first time. If this is your first time ever really praying something like that, either out loud in your heart, this is called saying yes to Jesus, especially here at Lux. This is called saying yes. Now you're going to see in the chat right now, the lift, AKA Pastor Mark has 
put exclamation part committed. And, and this is something we want to kind of walk with you on. This is a decision that has come from inside of you. And, and this decision, the saying yes for the first time to Jesus right now, I, I, I don't know if you know this, but all of heaven is celebrating you right now. Now, all of the angels are gathered around the Lord and there's there's a picture of the throne room with elders falling on their face before the Lord constantly day in and day out. And they are celebrating your decision to follow Jesus right now. And I and the rest of Lux would love to know about it because we want to celebrate along with you. Well, click that link in the chat and follow along, follow up with our team. This is not going to be weird or messy or anything like that. We really just want to reach out and empower you a little bit. We want to help you kind of let go of your control just a little bit. And we we want you to, to see that power from your own hands is not going to save you, but saying yes to Jesus will. Tonight, we want to leave with a next step. And if this is your first time ever saying yes, then I don't want you to take this next step. I want your next step to be to click that link that was in the chat. But for the rest of us, our next step is this. I will put my hope in Jesus and try not to, con or not try to control everything this week. Now, everything is a lot, I understand. There's a, a totality there. And so whatever your everything is tonight, start with one thing. Break, break everything down into one thing. Choose one thing that you are obsessing or stressing over. Break it down. Whatever it is. Is it going to, is it, you know, bills? That's a big thing. Maybe break one bill down. Is it just, you don't know what to get for Christmas for somebody? Maybe just kind of let your hands off of the steering wheel just a little bit there. Invite God to work on that. Open up your heart just a little bit to God to work on that. Trust me, he will show up usually in ways that you don't expect or even believe could happen. So as we take that next step and as we take a, a step into communion here, I'm going to be in the chat a little bit and I would love to talk with you, especially if this is your first time. I'm going to be in Discord a little bit later. You pop over to Discord uh, and I would love to chat with you. But we're going to go back up to the studio and I don't know if it's cold and snowy up there yet, but I'm going to assume it's cold and snowy because it's always cold and snowy where, when, when you're not in Tampa. And let's take communion together. Hey, church family, Pastor Mark here. Um, and uh, by the way, I'm going to respond to your message. Uh, I think it was like four one something something. I, I didn't catch your whole name um, whenever I'm on the chair later. In a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together, though. So you've gathered your common elements together. Great. If not, run and grab something really quick. Um, man, what a powerful message by Andy tonight. And uh, Chino really just really brought it. There's so much in our lives over these last two weeks that we've tried to control my family with the sickness of our kids and even back into October with our daughter being in the hospital. That was really my desire was to grasp and gain control. And I, I literally before Andy spoke tonight, I knew what he was going to preach on, but I I wasn't there. And I, I was on my hands and knees every night before church. I take a shower and I pray. And uh, I was on my hands and knees after that. And I just said, God, take the church. I don't want to control it. I don't want to manipulate it. I, I, I don't want to try to make it work. I don't want to force it into anything like take it. And um, God really blesses us when we trust him. So if you trusted the Lord as your savior tonight for the very first time, thanks for joining our family. We love you. You're our brother, or our sister. We're so glad to have you with us. And our brothers and sisters together, we gather and celebrate something called communion once a month here at Lux. 
we gather simple things like bread and yep, this is grape juice in a bourbon class, but we gather them together and we remember what it is that Jesus has done for us. Because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered together his 12 closest friends in an upper room to celebrate something called Passover, where the Jews celebrated the exodus from the land of Egypt, where they had been slaves for 400 years. And during the meal, Jesus took bread and he broke the bread. And he said, my friends, this is my body and it's given for you. When you eat of it, I want you to do so in remembrance of me. And at the end of the meal, as he was reclining at the table, he took the cup and he said, my friends, this is the blood of a new covenant. It's in my name. When you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. The apostle Paul in the book of Corinthians would tell us that as often as we eat the bread and drink from the cup, we do proclaim the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ until he comes again. And so for 2000 years, the church has celebrated together and we get to celebrate together tonight to remember that the cameras, the community, the discord, the slides, the graphics, the worship, like all of it is literally meaningless. It's stupid. You should not be here if we don't celebrate this. Because this is what matters. All of the other stuff is superfluous compared to the sacrifice, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So my friends, my brothers and my sisters, tonight we are family and we're united. And we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. So if you would, take of the bread and eat in remembrance of him. And friends, this is the cup of salvation poured out for the sins of us all. Let us drink of it in remembrance of him. Let us pray together in prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the power and the kingdom and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I love you, church. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Lux Digital Church. If Lux has been having an impact on your life, I want to encourage you to visit us at luxdigitalchurch.com and get connected to our community there. We're so thankful for you and we appreciate you. Have a blessed day and a blessed week.